wait till the draft, they said. Wait till the draft. When the draft is done, you'll be able to really look over this roster and see what's missing. Well, draft is over, so let's get to it. Good morning to you. Good Tuesday morning. I'm Dayan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports, and this is Daily Shot of Steelers. Comes your way bright and early every weekday morning. If you're into hockey and or baseball, I also offer up Daily Shots of Penguins and Pirates right where you found this. There were concerns, legit concerns, in some cases glaring concerns, that the Steelers had not within their depth chart, but right atop the depth chart at more than one position. And those were, to the credit of Kevin Colbert and Mike Tomlin, addressed. I'm referring primarily to duh, running back, and semi-duh <laughs> to tight end. Najee Harris is one heck of a solution to your main problem. Pat Fryermuth looks like he could be the start of a solution at tight end. I'm squarely in his camp when it comes to the possibility of beating out Eric Ebron though I don't think that's going to happen this summer in Latrobe. Offensive line is the one that most people mentioned, and offensive line did get addressed with a third and fourth pick, notably with Kendrick Green, the center, who will probably start. We'll see what kind of camp he has, whether or not... B.J. Finney needs to come in as a parachute for a short term. But this is a player that they got to play center. And I'd be surprised if that doesn't happen. So, again, what's left? Look around the rest of the football field and ask yourself, what are the positions? What are the starting positions where you still kind of go, eh, you know? I'll bring one up. To start, and I don't think it's going to be a particularly popular one to bring up. And that's going to be Alex Highsmith at the right edge on the defense. I, I, I know it's unfair to compare Highsmith or to expect Highsmith to perform at the year five or six level of Bud Dupree or maybe even at the year anything of Bud Dupree, considering Bud was a first-round pick, Highsmith was not. Highsmith was a third-rounder. What's really his pedigree? What's really his ceiling? How good can he be? How much did playing at a small school like Charlotte set him back, or was that reflective of who he actually is and what his limitations are? Don't know. Don't know. He held up well enough, I thought, down the stretch after Bud was out. But, I mean, Bud's injury remains the stark line of demarcation between Steelers being really good and Steelers being really not. 11-0 with him, 1-5 after he was out, including playoffs. Nowhere to hide from that. Of course, that wasn't the only variable, but there it is. 
Highsmith has to come through. I can't sit here and tell you that I feel that. I can't sit here and tell you that I, I'm confident that that'll happen. And there aren't other answers there. There aren't, there aren't other edge rushers if something goes wrong with Highsmith. He has to come through. That's, that's a worry for me. Cornerback is a worry for me. Right outside corner. The part that's been vacated by Steven Nelson's departure. I felt that Nelson's performance over there was either overrated or exaggerated by some. Certainly in 2020, I thought he was terrific in 2019. But are you going to see you know, Justin Lane over there, if he can get out of his off-the-field problems? Are you going to see Jason Pierre over there? Or are you going to see, as Mike Tomlin himself has said publicly, Cam Sutton be over there in the base package but then slide inside in the sub packages? Well, they do more sub packages than they do base anymore. So what does that really mean? Who's really the right outside corner? And why is Cam bumping in and out in mid-series? Who thinks that's a good idea? And <laughs> why? I mean, I, it's it's not unheard of. You do ask your DBs to do a lot of different things. Heaven knows Mike Hilton was asked to do a lot of different things. But there's a difference between that and going from outside to inside as a corner. Hilton would be tasked with, you know, drop, cover this, but it was always from the inside slot position. It wasn't go outside, then come inside. So that one's got me a little uneasy because if if this secondary regresses markedly over where it was last year, and it was pretty good, that changes so much about this defense, and it renders moot a lot of the things that the Steelers have done well. I got another one, and this one I can't even come close to criticizing the Steelers for not addressing in the draft. That's defensive line. And the reason I can't criticize them for it is because everyone said before the draft, this was universal, that there was just almost no one available at these positions. Isaiah Loudermilk is a guy that the Steelers ended up getting and we're happy to get him in the later rounds. And maybe he'll become part of that push along with Isaiah Bugs and Carlos Davis. But the cold fact here is that the Steelers' defensive line, their main guys, as outstanding as they were in 2020, are all 30-plus years old. And that's a tough, tough, tough position to be playing at the highest level into your 30s. Cam Hayward, Stefan Tuitt, Tyson Alualu. And they're going to need to be spelled. They're going to need to have some relief. And they're going to need for that to be competent relief. Guys who won't get gashed when they come on the field. And they're going to need it to be 
guys who can come on and just be a pair as opposed to three of them as down linemen. I'm not seeing that. I'm not seeing that. And switching to the other side, the ball, I mean, really the, the main one for me that jumps out is the one that jumps out for most. I, I, I feel better, I think, about the offensive line than most. I look at it from left to right and at each individual and say that other than whatever level of commitment, passion, dedication David DeCastro is going to have, not to mention his health, and other than not knowing or not even being able to hazard a guess at how Kendrick Green could do at center, I'm okay with the other pieces. I'm okay with Zach Banner and Chooksakorafor and Kevin Dotson at left guard. I'm okay with this. But I got to see it. And I got to see it within the prism of Matt Canada's zone blocking schemes that he's putting in. I got to see it within the prism of all that movement that's going to be added to the offense. It's going to look like a high school musical at times with all the left to right and this guy and that guy and looking this way and passing that way. It's going to be trickery galore. Not gimmicks, not you know, not weird stuff, although there might be some of that too. But you're seldom going to see a play in a Canada offense that's going to be uh, just your basic set, Ben takes the snap, turns around and hands off. You're going to see all kinds of movement, all kinds of unpredictability. And it's going to change from week to week so that opponents can't scheme for patterns. How are these guys, especially these younger guys on the offensive line, going to handle something like that? I don't know. I don't know. Am I worried about these things? Uh, you know, or, or, or do they feel like grave concerns? I, I would say not because the number one thing that needed to be addressed, as I mentioned, was addressed. But in the more general sense, the biggest worries you ever have is when you look at your starting 22, 11 on each side of the ball, and, and point to a position and say, now that right there, that's a weak spot. And I don't know that the Steelers have that. I really don't. I'm not being Pollyanna here. I, I, I can't find a spot other than maybe right outside corner because of that strange scenario where I go, now that right there, if I'm the other team, that's who I'm going after. There isn't an Artie Burns, in other words, okay? There isn't a guy where you just know that's a real big problem. You're never going to be able to fix that. They can. They can. And they're certainly in a stronger position than they were a week ago. But there's work ahead, that's for sure. When we come back, just one question. It's time for just one question, and that's brought to you on this program always by the personal injury law firm of Luxembourg, Garbett, Kelly & George, LGKG. They represent people who are hurt in car accidents. 
who need assistance with workers' comp, who filed medical malpractice claims. The attorneys at LGKG have been AV rated. That's the highest rating a law firm can receive for legal ability and ethics in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. LGKG has offices in Cranberry, Newcastle, Beaver Falls, Butler, and Elwood City. You can learn more about them at lgkg.com or by calling 888-842-5454. Today's question comes from C.N. Peters in Cleveland. And he says, hey, Dan, you've spoken of the nasty battles between Zach Banner and T.J. Watt in training camp last year. Did reporters have lots of access to training camp? Out here in Cleveland, the reporters had very little access at all, and while our fans might have gotten some news in the early stages of camp, little morsels of news were all that came out after the first couple of weeks. Yeah, training camp was at Heinz Field. The practices themselves, the scrimmages, the seven-on-sevens, and everything else that the Steelers did were available for us to watch. I did a couple of those sessions myself. We were limited to... Uh, every outlet was limited to one reporter uh, per outlet. So from DK Pittsburgh Sports, Dale Lawley, our primary beat writer, did most of those. I did a couple because I just just needed to be in there, you know, and see what I was seeing. I have a feeling that by the time Latrobe comes around, you're going to see things as close to normal as you could possibly imagine from this standpoint. Uh, You will still have, I'm sure, uh, some kind of uh, restrictions or precautions, and I'm not even talking about media or anything like that. I'm talking about fans uh, in the bleachers at Chuck Knoll Field, uh, which hold about, I'd say the place, you know, if you had every fanny seated in those metal bleachers, you'd probably have about 2,000 people there. Uh, there's also grass hills all around, and it's, it's hard to count that, but it's a pretty significant number of humans. And maybe, maybe by then, and we're talking about the end of July now, um, you know, there will still be, I don't know, uh, sanitizer pumps and things like that around. But really, if we're not at 70, 80 percent or more uh, inoculation at that point with the vaccines, I'd, I'd be stunned. I mean, given where we are currently. So I, I have a feeling this sort of thing is starting to pass. The NFL, and this is the reason I'm glad you asked this question, has remained at the forefront. They were the first, you'll remember, the NFL draft was like the first event of any kind we had in society. It felt like all virtual and everything else, and they had to challenge their networks, particularly ESPN, which is the lead broadcaster in that role, to come up with all kinds of ways to make the thing still look special, even with just endless Zoom calls, including Roger Goodell in his basement on the big chair. And I have a feeling that the NFL, league-wide, but the Steelers locally, have taken pride in leading on this. Now, I'm, I'm careful the way I word this because, 
there are people who are ignorant about the virus and ignorant about the impact that it's had. And as a result, they'll hear something like this and think this is just some macho thing. We're going to tough it out and whatever. And that, that's not what I'm referencing here. I have not seen the NFL or the Steelers do anything that they that you know would raise an eyebrow that would make you think it's unsafe. But once it is safe, they've stepped forward. And I thought that the, the draft show, uh, in particular the first round last week, was pretty compelling in that regard. It, a little awkward at times with the fans standing next to Goodell and, and whatever else, but they were standing next to him. They weren't six feet apart. Why? They were vaccinated. Goodell was vaccinated. Uh, the people who came out and made announcements were vaccinated. And I think they were trying to, not I think, I know, they were trying to send the message that, hey, go get your vaccine. You know, Go get this. And if you do, you can, I don't know, sit in Roger's chair or whatever it is that you want to do with your life. But that things can get back to normal. And the same goes for some of the, the crowd shots from Cleveland. So I, I think that by the time we get to training camp and everything else, we won't be all the way back, but we'll be really, really, really close. And, and I, I expect to answer your initial question that the, the level, the caliber, and the insidedness, if you will, of the reporting that you've come to expect from us will be back in full swing. Thanks for the QC, and I appreciate that. I appreciate everybody listening to Daily Shot of Steelers, and we'll do another one of these tomorrow. At Point Park University, in the heart of downtown Pittsburgh, they understand there's no substitute for real-world experience and career-building connections. Their innovative curriculum engages students with distinctive experiential learning opportunities. Point Park's pioneering co-op program empowers qualified students to work in full-time, paid positions with their corporate partners while earning college credits. Visit pointpark.edu works to learn more. Career ready. That's the point. Point Park University. Your front door. Your car. Your gym locker. Your gun. Safety is a habit. Learn more about how to keep guns safe and secure. Visit projectchildsafe.org.